start the recording. So, um, if you need pens, looks like Dennis is on it. Uh, also, if you need handouts, um, I think Charlene has a few extra. So, if you need them, raise your hand. Um, and let me get a reader for paragraph one and paragraph two. So, who are going to be my readers this morning? Paragraph one, paragraph two. Justin and Mom. Okay, great. Justin, why don't you do paragraph one? Mom, would you do paragraph two? All saints that are united in Jesus Christ, their head by his spirit and faith, although they are not thereby one person with him, have fellowship in him, in his graces, suffering, death, resurrection, and glory. And being united to one another in love, they have communion in each other's gifts and graces, and are obliged to do the performance of such duties, public and private, in an orderly way, as to, as to conduce their, to their mutual good, both in the inward and outward manner. Thank you. Saints by profession are bound to maintain a holy fellowship and communion in the worship of God, and in performing such other spiritual services as to tend to their mutual edification as also in relieving each other in outward things according to their several abilities and necessities, which communion, according to the rule of the gospel, though especially to be exercised by them in the relation wherein they stand, whether in families or churches, yet as God offereth opportunity, is to be extended to all the household of faith even all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Nevertheless, their communion, one with another as saints, doth not take away nor infringe the title or propriety which each man hath in his goods and possessions. I think in my Sunday school, I wrote hath in his foods and <laughs> possessions. So you can just cross that line out and say goods. G and F apparently are really close to each other on the keyboard. Um, thank you, Mom, for, for giving us that. So, I mean, you know, at the same time, you do share food, right? Uh, and, and, you know, I, I'm thinking of this providentially, guys, as we come to this chapter, only two paragraphs, and I think it's really, really sweet uh, because this is where we find ourselves right now as a church, as we have been dealing with the tragedy of um, Isabel Bishop, and as we have been uh, trying to walk faithfully um, with the Bishop family, loving on them and encouraging them, we find ourselves smack dab in chapter 27, and I don't think there are any coincidences. Uh, I think this is by the providence of God that we would land here this morning, talking about this really sweet topic. Um, and so I hope that this will be an encouragement to you then this morning, uh, going over this together. Um, also, I want you to note that there are only two pages, front and back, okay? This is, this is me trying to get a hand clap from you guys because I am typically like a four-pager. Thank you. I was fishing for that. I appreciate it. I feel confirmed now and, and in communion with you. Okay, so what I want to show you, though, um, from this chapter, which is really good, when it's going to be talking about of the communion of the saints... What does this um, chapter begin with? We're talking about the communion of the saints, and what's the main emphasis in the first sentence? All saints are united in Jesus Christ. 
And who? And Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ. So we're talking about the communion of the saints, which is kind of the one anothering of the church. But the confession is so Christocentric. Everything is about Christ that in the very first sentence, it is pointing us to the fact that we are united, yes, together as a body, but we're only united as we are united in Jesus Christ. And so what we need to do then is to kind of unpack what this unity actually looks like with Christ before we can even talk about the communion of the saints. So as we begin then, we look at this first sentence that says that all saints that are united to Jesus Christ, their head, by his, spirit, uh, by his spirit and faith, although they are not made thereby one person with him, have fellowship in his graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. So when we look at this, what is our unity in Christ? Well, I think specifically what we're trying to get at here this morning is that our unity with Christ is actually spiritual. So this is your first blank. When we're trying to unpack the communion of the saints, we're going to see that our unity with Christ is spiritual. As I was studying this week, I think both um, Sam Waldron and Robert Shaw kind of unpacked this idea of unity uh, in real specific ways. But I want you to see that our unity with Christ um, is spiritual because, number one, Christ is our, is our federal head. So we've talked about this kind of idea of federal headship, meaning someone who is over you, someone uh, who you are under or who acts as your representative. So Christ, our unity with Christ is spiritual because Christ is our federal head. We are united in Christ as he acted with the Father to choose us from the foundation of the earth. We are unified through him choosing us. Okay, so that's part of that spiritual aspect is that God chooses us, that Christ has chosen us. Number two, our unity with Christ is spiritual because Christ fulfills the law. So Christ, number two, fulfills the law. Through his graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, he fulfills the law on our behalf and our legal status is justified due to being unified with him. I think um, growing to Romans chapter 6 will be helpful here. Romans chapter 6. And if I could get somebody um, actually to read 1 through 11. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Any takers? Richie? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with them by baptism into death. In order that, as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too walk in newness of life. For if we have been unified with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be unified with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, 
so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has was it six or was it eleven? Uh, eleven. Thank you, brother. So we see in this spiritual unity with Christ, actually all the things that the confession was talking about, right? The confession talked about that we are in fellowship with his graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. And really, I feel like um, Romans chapter 6, 1 through 11 really unpacks that. It also helps us see that he has fulfilled the law on our behalf, which means that, excuse me, we are justified uh, with him. So our unity with Christ is spiritual because Christ is our federal head. Our unity with Christ is spiritual because Christ fulfills the law. And then our unity with Christ is spiritual because Christ sends us the Holy Spirit. We are able to, so if you'll note, all the saints that are united to Jesus Christ, their head, by his Spirit. Okay, so when we read that, we're seeing that Christ has sent us his spirit, and we're able to be unified with Christ because we have faith, right? That's, that's what the gospel is, that we would have faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We would repent of our sins. But the reason that we have faith is because Christ has sent us his Holy Spirit, because we're unified with him. So we are able to have faith in Christ due to him and the Father sending the spirit, which enables us to believe. We are unified with him through the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I think it's really important that just in this one little sentence that we talk so much about unity with Christ because that's what lays the foundation for us to have a unity with each other. Now, what it isn't, which I also think is very important in this. And by the way, I think we're gonna have lots of time for questions so you guys can hammer me at the end um, if you have questions. But if it's really important, you can raise it during. I'll do my best to answer it. Um, But what we see is that the confession wants to be really clear about what this unity is not. So we see after by, uh, or their head, remember their federal head, by his spirit, uh, through the Holy Spirit, we have faith. Although they are not made thereby one person with him. Why do you think that they added that? Why do you think that the confession felt it was so important to add that little part right in there? right after this unity with Christ. What do you guys think? Well, he's our Lord, right? He's our Lord. Okay, yeah. So he still has authority over us. It's not like we all of a sudden became God, right? Okay, good. Any, anything else? Anybody else want to? Because of a heresy at the time. Yep. Yes, so there was... Um, some heresies that were flying around um, that were specifically uh, talking about the deification of people. Um, I don't know what they were specifically, and neither do a lot of the commentators, both on the Presbyterian and um, the the Baptist side. Uh, But we'll talk about some that we're dealing with in our own time here in a second. 
But yeah, the confession is making a clarification about what unity with Christ is. It does not mean that we somehow become Jesus or become part of the Trinity. We have unity, you're blank, with Christ, but we are not deity, okay? We have unity, but we are not deity. So Sam Waldron says that different sects were interpreting union with Christ in a mystical, pantheistic sense. So although I don't know the exact ones that they're dealing with now, I think this is actually really helpful for us in our day. So do you guys know a few different things that are maybe heretical groups or things that would emphasize you becoming deity? Anybody have any idea? You raised your hand. Very good job. Okay. Way to go. We were having order here. Uh, All you excited people jumping in. Yeah. So Mormonism would be one of those sects that are trying to tell us that you can actually become God. If you live your life the way they've told you, you become a God. You actually um, can be in charge of your own universe. and, And you think that that sounds wild, but it is in their books. It is, it is clear as day. Um, it's not something that is taught in, behind closed doors. If you go get the Book of Mormon, uh, if you get the Pearl of Great Price, and I don't remember the third one, uh, but thank you. Thank you, Dennis. Yes, all of those, um, they actually talk about this. It's not something they're trying to hide. They're very open about it. All right, so Mormonism was like, okay, we knew that one. Anything else? Are there any other ones that kind of talk about you becoming deity? Like Buddhism? Buddhism, okay, so um, a, a more new age or, well, Buddhism wouldn't be new age, but maybe a pantheistic understanding of all becoming one uh, in the big, yeah, okay, good. I'm thinking maybe Catholicism, that the priesthood is uh, sanctified in a higher way than other members of the church. Certainly seeing a, a hierarchy there, for sure. Um, I'm not sure if Catholicism would actually say that they become deity, but certainly a hierarchy, for sure. Um, that's also, good. Uh, if, if not one of the, uh, the cults, I think like a, this would dispel like a, a Christian elitism, right? Where, okay. Where uh, the righteousness that we have isn't imputed to us, um, but now this righteousness is, is, is ours based upon maybe our own merit and that we are now gods or co-equal with, uh, you know, uh, the Trinity, and, um, which would have implications on um, our attitudes, right? We would elevate to, like, a position of pride and, you know, uh, just, I'm an elitist, right? I'm, I'm better than you. I'm a god, and, um, not the lowly and gentle that we should have like our Savior. That's good. Thanks, Dennis. What was that? David Koresh. David Koresh. Okay. I, you know, Dennis, the one that you were just talking about, um, there was uh, actually around this time the idea of Christian perfectionism, um, which was you could attain... Uh, yeah, it was, it was in the Wesleyan camp, Methodist camp, that you could attain a point where you would no longer sin on your own merit. Um, and then you would attain Christian perfectionism. Um, yeah, that's that's certainly elevating yourself uh, in in that in that way. What about Scientology? Whew! 
Scientology, I, I must confess, I'm not an expert on Scientology, and that, um, but, but it may, it may, I think New Age thinking um, is another one that would be that, so you guys can fill in the two blanks with all the stuff that we have just talked about. Um, good job, and um, Scientology will have to ask Tom Cruise later what he thinks about it, um, and he can help us, I think. Uh, we'll, we'll see if we can get him in here. Okay, so uh, that's how the, the confession begins with a, a really big emphasis on Christ, right? It wants us to see that if we're going to be unified with one another at all, um, if we're going to have this communion together, it must be based upon Jesus Christ. So then it moves into unity with one another, okay? Flowing from the unity that we have with Christ, going to the unity that we have with one another. So it talks about we have communion or unity or fellowship with one another by being used as the body of Christ to equip one another. Okay, so that's your next blank, B-A, um, to equip one another. So will somebody read for us Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, and somebody else read for us 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. So two readers, we're in Ephesians and 1 Corinthians. Justin, okay, you can do Ephesians, 1 Corinthians, any takers? You got it. What was the reference? 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. Uh, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the te- and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Okay, just stop for a second. So he gave all of these gifts to the church to equip them for the works of the ministry. Okay, keep going. Thanks. For building up the body of Christ until we until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, um, from whom the whole body, joined and, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, uh, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's so good. Before you jump into 1 Corinthians, I just want you guys to hear about, again, how Ephesians, uh, when you're looking at this confession, right, it's basing itself off of the Bible. It's trying to be a summary of the Bible. And so when we read in Ephesians that it's Christ is the head, that he's given these gifts to the church, and that when we have these gifts in the church working properly, it holds us together like tendons in a body, in a body part, like your arm or something, right? That is trying to allow this body to work as it was purposed to work. And so when we read that we have this unity with Christ, but then we're united to one another in love, they have communion in each other's gifts and graces. Guys, I want you to hear how important it is for you to be here. Okay, It's so important for your gifts and graces to be a part of the body of Jesus Christ. 
We need every tendon. We need every body part to help this body, this local expression, work the way it's supposed to work. And friends, I feel like we saw this body working so beautifully, even though it was so tragic within this last week. We saw arms and legs and, and thinking through different things and organizing things and, and, and mouths speaking things and love and encouragement and, and people making things and, and bringing them to the bishops and, and loving on them in that way and loving on each other, people loving each other so that they could go love the bishops. It was the body of Christ doing what it was supposed to do. This was that communion of the saints and each other's gifts and graces. Sorry, I'm getting excited about it because I just, I want us to see the beauty of the body of Christ. What we're meant to do. And we saw it happening. All right, brother. 12, 4 through 7. Uh, yes, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. There are diversities of gifts with the same spirit. There are differences of ministries with the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, prophecy and to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. For the one in the same for the one in the same spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and as many members... No, go ahead. You can finish that one. That's a good one. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of the one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. All right, just finish it up with the last sentence too. The next one. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink into the one spirit. Thanks, brother. Yeah, so we see again this idea of um, the Spirit actually equipping us to do the work of one anothering within the church. We see the importance of this being expressed again and again. So we have unity with one another about how we are able to equip one another. But I also want you guys to see that this is not just something... Um, that you can be like, okay, I think I want to do that. No, the next sentence in the confession is, and are, talking about the saints, obliged to the performance of such duties. So when you read this, this is obligatory, or this is a command from God for us to act in this way towards one another. I, I just want you to hear that, that this is actually not something that we get to decide if we want to do. It's something that we have to do. But that doesn't mean we all have to do it the very exact same way, right? So you don't have to look just like everybody else when you're doing it. But at the same time, you're commanded by your gifts and graces to have communion with each other. Okay, so um, continuing then on number two, our communion with one another, again, is spiritual. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, most of us are not related by blood, although some of us are. But we are one in Christ, which means we love one another. I think I spell-checked another with one another. Anyways, which means that we love one another as Christ would love us. So let's read 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 through 14. A reader? A reader? 
Jane, did you raise your hand or did I just call you out not raising your hand? All right, <laughs> All right. sweet. Glad I could do that. First uh, John 3, 16 through 18. Evie, I'm making eye contact with you back there. You thought you could escape me. Uh, do you have your Bible? Awesome. Thank you. You're the best. First uh, John 3, 16 through 18. You guys didn't know, but you have to be prepared when you come in here that you might just get called out to read. All right, whoever has it, please. That is a good word for all of us, right? And again, when we read that, the context is for all of us to be doing this. And then in the middle, it talks about, you know, um, esteem your elders. uh, And then, and then it comes back to, but we should do all of these things, be patient, encourage, admonish. um, and, And it ends with, and be patient with them all, man, what we could learn, um, when we realize that we're all going to make each other mad at some point, and we're all going to sin against each other at some point, and how we can be encouraged that we can come and we can actually tell each other that we have sinned against each other, or if that person continues to do that, you would even have patience with them all, even the one who needs that encouragement or admonishment for what they're doing wrong that you'd be patient with them, or the one who's weak, who needs help, right? So again, I keep going back to this last week because it was so so prevalent within our body. Our friends were weak. They just went through probably the hardest thing that they'll ever experience in their whole life. And they were weak. And so we needed to encourage them. We needed to come alongside of them and love them. All right, Evie. 1 John 3, 16 through 18. Thank you, Evie. Yeah, we again see that uh, there's the financial aspect, right? If somebody needs something or needs help, and we as the body of Christ don't help that person, really? We're we're not going to help out a fellow Christian that's in in need or in help? Um, And then also we see that it's not just in words, but it's in deed. We need to love each other well. So we do that both spiritually and physically, right? Um, as I wrote earlier in food and possessions, we need to, we need to give people things that will help not just their spiritual life, although they need that, but also their physical life. We need to be able to help them with food, um, and, and and other things, maybe financial gifts. And we'll actually go to that here in a minute. Um, but I just want to make us aware that that's part of being the body. Now, paragraph two starts going through communion's requirements, Okay, again, um, we're going to see very quickly that 
if you confess, right? Paragraph two says saints by profession are bound to maintain a holy fellowship and communion in the worship of God. So saints by profession are bound. You are bound by God, friends. Um, and what are you bound to do? Well, let's, let's figure out what this word profession means, right? Profession means that you are proclaiming or declaring your allegiance to God. That's what profession means. You're proclaiming or declaring your allegiance to God. So if you're going to proclaim and declare your allegiance to God, you are bound to maintain fellowship and communion in the worship of God. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Who's my next reader? Everybody's eyes go down. Sometimes they go to the left or the right. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Hebrews 10, what? 24 and 25. Right. I, I was starting to see hands come up, and then I got overwhelmed. You guys were all excited to do it. I didn't know who to pick. Okay, so you're actually bound, if you profess Christ, to come to church. What? Andrew, don't say that. That's mean. Well, that's actually what Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 is saying. Okay, that's, that's where the confession is getting this from. It uses it as a, um, as a proof text. It's telling us that if you're confessing Christ, then you are bound to maintain fellowship and communion in the worship of God. So, yes? I actually think it goes beyond that. I think so too, but I want to... Here, keep going, keep going. Well, in Acts it says that they met together daily, you know, praying together in fellowship and prayer. Yep, yep, you're right, you're right. But at least what it means is that you will be at church on Sunday. But good, absolutely. If you claim to be a Christian... You need to be involved in the church and in each other's lives, right? So let me ask you a question. Can you claim to be a Christian and not be involved in the bride of Christ? I don't think so. Can a bee be a bee in a... What is that? Can you be a bee in a colony and not... I like it. I like it. I like where you were going, right? And not be in the honeycomb. I don't know, right? Yeah. I what you're saying. Yeah. Boom. Man. Yeah. That was good. That was good. Yeah. Yes. That will be a quote in a sermon from Joel, maybe this morning. All right. So just be on the lookout. That was good. All right. Yes. 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 Okay. Good. 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 All right. So. I want you to see that the confession is talking about both communion and fellowship, okay? And so communion is a body of Christians having a common faith and discipline. So fellowship can refer to the same thing, but what I think is being used here to help us unpack it is that this fellowship that it's actually talking about in this communion and fellowship is actually referring to to financial means. 
And what we see, even in Acts 2.42, that was being brought up earlier, is that uh, Calvin actually defines that when it talks about the meeting together, the breaking of bread, the apostles' doctrine, and then it goes into the fellowship. But the fellowship there, Calvin actually uh, translates that as a financial fellowship, is that they were actually helping each other with their financial means. So being a part of the community of Christ actually means that you're going to be helping each other out financially when people need that help. Or tithing to the church. How can I make more people mad at me this morning? Um, so those are, those are the things that I think the confession is actually propagating to us when it's talking about communion and fellowship. I like this um, explanation from the Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology on fellowship. Those who believe the gospel of the resurrection are united in the spirit through the son to the father. The relation leads to the reality of relatedness and thus to an experienced relationship, a communion between man and God. And those who are thus in Christ, as the apostle Paul often states, are in communion, not only with Jesus Christ and the father in the spirit, but also with one another. The relatedness, relationship, and communion is fellowship with one another. So, we see that the obligation is not only for being present for worship of God, but also for performing spiritual services as tend to mutual edification. Remembering the gifts and the graces that all Christians have, we were talking about the body, uh, to edify one another. So we get into the section of one anothering which is what really a lot of the communion of the saints is talking about here. So we have requirements, but we also have one anothering. So we see that part of being the communion of the saints means we help each other in outward means. This can mean a multitude of things from finances to food, to helping someone move, which happened this weekend too, um, to giving someone a ride, whatever, right? You can, you can fill this in with lots of other things. But the confession does a good job of helping us remember the biblical emphasis of how this actually works itself out. Number one, it begins with the family. When we're thinking of communion of the saints. 1 Timothy 5.8 is pretty pointed here. Um, anybody want to read 1 Timothy 5.8? Go for it. Ooh, right? Yeah, Paul's helping Timothy out here saying, yeah, we need to provide for one another, but if someone's not even providing for his own family, he's worse than an unbeliever. Those are sharp words, right? So it begins with the family, then through the local church, okay? Hebrews 3, 12 and 13 talks about we need the continual um, encouragement as long as the day is called day to help one another out, to keep us from sinfulness sinfulness from sin um, so we see that uh, the recipients of one anothering begins with the family is moved through the local church and also goes to the universal church okay that's number three the universal church where there is need and what we see in acts eleven twenty nine through 30 is that the church realizes that there are people in other places that need help right so they are going to help financially they are going to help um, in prayer Right? They're going to one another. Um, it makes me think of how we should pray for um, the in whistles. I don't know if 
we, I think we're going to send out an email soon about the fact that Steve is going to be going back to um, the car to, to help give out uh, supplies to people and help them. So we have one of our own missionaries that we're supporting on the field. We need to think about him. We need to pray for him. We need to ask for God's help as he goes and he meets the needs of other Christians who are in need. But then the confession ends with this statement. It says... Let me find the end. Ah, But doth not take away or infringe the title of propriety which each man hath in his goods and possessions. So I'll end with this very um, interesting statement. Communion is not communism. Okay? Communion is not communism. Now, why do you think the confession made this statement? Why did the confession make this statement when we're thinking about the context of history? He who does a word doesn't eat. Okay. Yeah, going to 1 Thessalonians, right? Or 2 Thessalonians. Yeah. Good, good. Okay, that's very biblical. Or if you have much, then you must give all your extra away in the statement. Like, there can be other people who make those decisions for you, or you have to all be on the same Right, right. So the confession wants to make sure we're not doing that, but there's an actual group of people that they have been trying so desperately to distinguish themselves from. From the very beginning of this confession, as Baptists, they're saying, we're not these people. Do you guys remember what people that was? Well, I heard it. Louder. Anabaptists. Okay, so we read last time I was up here the Schleitheim Confession, right? Very German. Um, and the Anabaptists also were known for getting in communes and nobody having their own possessions. Everyone had to sell everything that they had and they had to share it. And then you might say, but isn't that what Acts tells us to do? Now it says for us to sell and to help those who are in need. Of course it is. And of course it tells us to do that. But it also tells us um, about how Ananias and, and who? Sapphira. Now, why did they die? Was it because they didn't give to the church? What was the reason? They lied. Right? They lied about it. They said, this is everything. And it wasn't so preachers later on could say, now give everything you got to me, right? Or to the church. No, it was because when they did that, they lied about it. What a horrible thing to do. So we can even go back to the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verse 15, that thou shall not steal. Well, stealing helps us understand that we have our own property. We have our own things. And so, yes, I want to encourage you to sell as much as you got and give to more people than you think you can possibly do that to. But it doesn't mean that we all sell our homes and create a commune here on the church campus, and that none of us has our own property or our own possessions anymore. That's something that the confession makes really clear about the communion of saints, and I think scripture actually makes clear too. And again, they're trying very hard not to be Anabaptist. Okay, so that comes to the end of uh, the communion of the saints. Two paragraphs, very short, but very dear, building upon the beauty of our unity in Christ and how that should then propel us to love one another and be in communion with one another. All right.
couple minutes for nope. I'm saying no more questions. I'll stay up here uh, to help you out if you need any questions. So let me pray for us. Uh, thank you for being um, such good listeners. Heavenly Father, help us to be the communion of the saints. Father, help us to share in our faith and our discipline and in everything that we have in order to bring you glory. Father, I want to thank you for this last week, two weeks, about how we have been bonding together as a body, as, as tragic as what happened was and will always be, and how it has just broken our hearts. Father, I'm thankful to see the body of Christ mobilized to love the people of Christ. And so, Father, I pray that you would continue to do that in this body. Would you continue to use us in our gifts and graces to love one another well and to your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.